Amen. I want to talk to you this morning about life well done. Amen. Now, don't, when I say well done, some of you are thinking the steak. Amen. I'm not talking about... Sometimes you may feel like that your life's... Well, you may feel like a well done steak. You may be uh, in fiery trials. Amen. How many of you ever been through fiery trials and you felt like your life was well done? But I'm not talking about that this morning. We want to talk to you about life that's well done for the Master. Amen. We serve a king. Amen. And And you understand that that uh, the the lifestyle that we are called to as believers and as sons of God, it's not what many people what many people think that it is. It's not go to an altar uh, and and just make an empty confession and then go on living our life the way we want to and like we don't have any obligation, like we live our own thing, right? It's not what some people think. You know, some people think that all there is to being you know, what they call a Christian is just going down to the altar and shaking the preacher's hand and getting your hand put on the roll. Amen. How many of y'all know, though, that there's a lot more to it than that? It's not just Jesus come into my heart and I'll see you in the rapture when I die. Amen. He has a purpose for us. Amen. And I just want to remind you of these things. These are some uh, statements that Pastor Earl mentioned uh, several months ago back during Winter Bible Seminar. We just want to bring these fresh to your memory. Because how many of y'all know that there are some statements that, that, that as a pastor, it's, it is my responsibility to love people, but it's not always my responsibility as a minister of God. My highest priority is to not make people feel comfortable. Amen? How many of you all know that, that the church, that we can become comfortable in complacency and never fulfill the assignment, the divine assignment that God has given you? And a lot of people don't like to be made uncomfortable. I'm comfortable where I'm at. And you know, Peter was comfortable in the boat, wasn't he? When Jesus said, come. And so you understand that there are things that if we're ever going to achieve the, and fulfill the assignment and the plans that the Master, that the King has for us, sometimes it requires you get poked a little bit. You get goaded a little bit. I remember someone teaching us a story on, you know, they were talking about eagles. They were giving eagles as a sermon illustration one time. And uh, said that the mother eagle, when the baby eagles get to the point where they're able to fly, that you know, they're not actually that anxious to do it because the nest is comfortable. And said that the mama eagle go and start pulling all the padding out, you know, because the nests are made in layers. There'll be hard sticks, you know, around the outside and on the inside. They'll pad it with grasses and moss and stuff like that to make it soft and comfortable. Said that the mama eagle will go in and begin to pull the stuffing out of the nest and throw it over the side so that it's not as comfortable to lay in. And said if they don't get the clue, get out and fly, baby eagle. Eventually, mama just nudges them over this, politely nudges them over the side, and it's fly or die, right? So, I mean, so you understand that, that, that the purpose of the gospel isn't always, you know, every sermon's not going to be uh, a, a Barney sermon. I love you, you love me. Huh? Sometimes it, that, that the Bible says, you know, and I like this, when it's talking about friends, it says iron sharpens iron. I've said this statement before. I told someone before we were talking, and actually it was my pastor in West Virginia. I told him, I said, you know what? I said, iron sharpens iron. You don't use Twinkies to sharpen knives. You can't sharpen anything with a Twinkie. What's your point? Is, is that sometimes the Word is going to challenge you. The Word's going to challenge you. I have to change the way I live. It's the thing. If you go to, if you, if, if you have been a, a believer for, you know, 10, 5, 10, 15, 20 years plus, and, and you're not hearing the Word that's constantly challenging you to up your commitment, to change the way you think, to change your attitude, to change your perspective on things, then I doubt very seriously if you're being taught much of the Word. Because how many of y'all know it is a lifestyle? I've said this before. It's a lifestyle of repentance. And what does repentance mean? Repentance means change the way you think. And, and nobody has just, nobody has arrived. Amen. We all have, there are, there are areas in our thinking that constantly have to be renewed so that we are being conformed to the image of God's dear Son. Amen. And so here's some of these quotes that I just want to put back before us. Because these are, these are statements that if, a per, if we take them to heart, it causes serious inspection and, and, retro, and retrospect, retrospection on our lives, and we have to examine ourselves. The greatest tragedy in life is not death, but life without a purpose, life with the wrong priorities. Huh? Sometimes we think that because someone died, you know, you know there are some things that are worth dying for. There are some things that you can roll over on your convictions and extend your life. But, you know, the Bible talks about martyrs. What is it? Over in the book, uh, book of Hebrews, what is the the, uh, the 11th chapter, 13th chapter, the Heroes Hall of Fame, where is that? Over in the book of Hebrews, when it talks about that, they, you know, that some of them, they didn't accept deliverance. 
some of the Old Testament prophets, that they didn't accept deliverance, that they were willing to lay down their life for what they believed. And so you understand this, is that, that the greatest tragedy in life is not death, but life without a purpose or life with the wrong priorities. Life's greatest challenge is knowing what to do. How many people ponder that? What am I going to do? You want to see someone, you know, you want to see a lot of people's gears turn. Ask a teenager, well, what are you going to do when you grow up? What are you going to do with your life? Huh? You can ask a lot of adults that are 50 and 60 years old, what are you going to do with your life? Amen. And they, you get the same dazed and confused look from them. I never thought about it. Amen. So, the sad truth is, some people, some people don't know, some people don't care. Well, I'm just going to live my life. Live my life, you know, have some, have a little fun before I die and, you know, and hope we'll do that. The greatest mistake in life is to be busy, but not effective. Running around. Remember the story of Mary and Martha? Huh? And the one was running, you know, she was running around making herself busy, but wasn't being effective. Amen? The, the, uh, the greatest failure is to be successful in the wrong assignment. Amen? If you're there, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 25. I want to read you a, a, a parable that Jesus used to teach. I'm going to read it to you in, in Matthew's account of it, and then we're going to go to Luke. Matthew chapter 25, starting with verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country. Everyone say, the kingdom of heaven. Now notice it does not say heaven is like. Too many times when we read the Scripture and we read these stories, in these parables that Jesus used to teach, we, when, and, and I think it's a subconscious thing, too many people when we read the kingdom of heaven is like, we just think what well, means heaven is like. No, no, no. It says the kingdom of heaven is like. The government of heaven. God's government, the kingdom, the, the government of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country. And you understand, we, you got to understand there is a tremendous difference. I just want to make sure that we're clear on this. There's a tremendous difference between thinking that when we read the kingdom of heaven means heaven and realizing that it means the kingdom of heaven. Because you understand heaven is a place. Heaven is a place where our king, where God dwells. Right? The kingdom of heaven is the government of heaven, the way heaven is governed or ruled. And when we're talking about the kingdom of heaven, we're talking about Jesus came to establish the kingdom of heaven on earth where He governs and rules just like God does in heaven through the hearts of believers. And so that's a very important distinction that we have to keep ourselves conscious of. The kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his servants and delivered his goods to them. His good. Whose goods? His goods to them. <clears throat> and to one he gave five talents, to another he gave one, uh, two, and to another one. To each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received the one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. So also... He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he came who had received the one talent and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground, Look, you have what is yours. And his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will uh, have abundance, but from him... Who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Amen. Just want to make the note right there. Who, who, is, who does the king represent in this story? Jesus. Well, what did the servant say? He said, Lord, I knew you were a hard man. 
You know, we, you need to understand something. You understand that, that Jesus, we're created in God's image, right? We have emotions. We, you know, we understand we have a, a soul where we have mind, a will, an intellect, and emotions, right? How many of you all know that it's possible? For Take yourself, for instance. Aren't there circumstances where most of the time, hopefully most of us, amen, that you're kind and, and benevolent and understanding and tender-hearted toward people, but then there's also isn't it also possible for you being the same person that you are and your same personality to have to have stern expectations? But how many of y'all have stern expectations for your children? If you don't, you should. I mean, you understand that they're children. But Pastor Shania Clay came home from preschool one time and he had a little Bible verse they were memorizing at his preschool. It said even a child is known by what he does. And so you understand that I'm not talking about being mean, but you need to have high expectations of your children. And when they don't, and when they don't meet them in love, communicate. You know, you know dad's disappointed. You need, you can do better, and you need to do better, especially if it's if they're misbehaving. And so, what's your point, Pastor? My point is, is that you realize. Most of us realize that ourselves that we have the capacity to be the same person that we are, have the same personality that we are, but still have emotions where we can be loving and tender and kind, but also we can be stern. And we can have expectations. And, and that we should be able to freely communicate to people that we have expectations of, you're not really meeting them. You need to step up. You need to do better. Well, what you put my point is, is that sometimes we, have, we get this picture of sweet loving Jesus sitting on the throne making intercession for you. And He is. The Bible teaches us that. The, the Bible, you realize that right now, the present day ministry of Jesus Christ, Jesus isn't sitting back in a lazy boy in heaven. Jesus has a ministry right now in heaven, and Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, and He's making intercession for you. Do you realize that our great high priest, Jesus, sits at the right hand of God the Father, and He is praying the Father, and He's coming on, in, on your behalf to God the Father, interceding for the things that concern you. Amen? That's when we pray, we pray in the name and in the authority of Jesus. Well, this same Jesus that we love, that we know loves us and has tender affection toward us, just like we can have our personality, it doesn't change who we are, that sometimes you know, we, that our disposition is to be loving and kind and understanding, but then there's times where we're stern. You understand Jesus has, there's a, there's a sternness with Jesus also. And so we, as we read in this parable, the, 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 the person that goes, the man that goes out traveling represents Jesus. The servant told him, said, I knew that you were, uh, that you were a stern man. Let me see. He says, uh, he says, he said, uh, I was a, he said, I received the talent. He said, Lord, uh, I know that you're a hard man, reaping where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. In other words, the servant knew that there was, that, that the Lord had an expectation when I, give you this deposit, when I deposit my resources and my goods to you, the servant knew that it was reasonable that the Lord was going to have an expectation that something was going to be done with it, right? Amen? So let's go ahead turn to, to Luke chapter 19. I just want to make that clear to you that, that, that if we believe this is speaking of Jesus, and you notice that the, that the, that the master didn't deny that. The master didn't say, oh, no, no, you just think I'm hard. Now, you understand what I'm saying. Is, is the Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. Jesus said, come unto me, my, my yoke is easy and my burdens light. Now, sometimes you want to make sure you try to get as much out of that verse as you can because a lot of people go, oh, Jesus wasn't saying that I have low expectations. You realize that when Jesus said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy. Because you understand a yoke... He didn't say, I don't have a yoke. He didn't say, come unto me, I don't have a yoke. You can just run around. Because you understand, you know, we know what a yoke is, right? It's a, it's a, you know, a wooden brace that goes across, that usually goes across two animals and it has, uh, it buckles onto their necks and they hitch it up to plows or they hitch it to wagons. And it's an instrument used to team two animals together to do some type of labor. Okay? And so, Jesus didn't say, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll, I don't have a yoke, and you can run around and be a free little, uh, free little cow or a free little ox or a free little donkey kicking up your heels in the field and doing whatever you want to. Jesus said, amen. And, I, I, and believe me, I know this is not real popular. This isn't real popular. Oh, I want to get my ears tickled. 
A lot of people, look, you understand this, that a lot of people, what they want to hear is, is that I'm free, 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 and I don't have any obligation. You have a master. We have a master. And, but you understand this, and just stay with me on this. Stay with me because you're going to see that, you know, I've said this before. How many of you remember the old Bob Dylan song? You're going to serve somebody. It might be the devil, it might be the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. Amen? Don't let anybody, everybody serve somebody. Even the people that think they're the, I don't serve no one. No one's my master. Yeah, well, you know, you're telling off who the master is. So you understand, Jesus said, my burden's easy and my yoke is light. In other words, there's still work to be done. It's just not like the way of the transgressor. It's not a hard yoke. I don't have a whip driving you and, and compelling you and, and, and inflicting little snips and barbs on you. It, it, I do have something for you to do. But if you hook up, guess what? <laughs> Amen. Who, you know, who's, who's yoked up with you? Jesus. Who else is yoked up with you? Behold, I send you another helper. Glory to God. You're going to get yoked up with someone to do some work. You think about the Spirit of God. The Spirit that moved on the face of the waters when God said, light be. When God said, let there be a firmament. When God said, let this, let there be a light. Let there be. The Holy Spirit that did all that work, you're yoked up with it. Jesus said, I'm sending you another comforter. I'm sending you another helper. I, the word paraclete literally means one who comes alongside. And guess what? He's yoked up with you doing the work that God's called you to do if you're doing it. He's the helper. He's not the doer, right? Amen? And so... But, but the servant, that there was work to be done. Amen? Luke, chapter 19, verse 12. This is Luke's account of the, of the teaching. It says, Now when they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Notice that people were always looking for the kingdom and their understanding of it was a little different. They were looking for a that it was going to be on earth, that he was going to displace the leaders. That's coming, amen. That's to come. But their, their perception of what the kingdom was, was wrong, amen. Jesus said, Therefore, he said, A certain nobleman went into a far country to receive himself a kingdom and to return. Glory to God, going to get a kingdom. So he called ten of his servants and delivered to them ten minas and said to them, Do business until I come. Now, mina, mina, depends on how you want to pronounce it, just so everyone knows. One was approximately three months' salary. So it was a pretty significant chunk of money that he gave them. And he said, do business until I come. He said, but the citizens hated him and went and sent a delegation after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded... Uh, these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him and he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Glory to God. I'm going to go ahead and say it. You notice it said the citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, who will not have this man to reign over us? A lot of people want Jesus the Savior, but they don't want Jesus the King. We won't have this man to reign over us. Man, glory, help us, Lord. Verse 15, And so it was that when he had returned having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Did he have an expectation that they had been working? Amen. Verse 16, Then came the first saying, Master, your mina has earned ten minas. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you were faithful and very little have authority over ten cities. And the second came saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas. Likewise, he said to him, You also be over five cities. Then another came saying, Master, here's your mina which I have uh, kept put away in a handkerchief for I feared you because you are an austere man. You collect what you do not deposit. You reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, out of, and the master said to him, Out of your own mouth I'll judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank that I might, uh, at my coming have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him and give it to the one who has ten. But they said to him, Master, he has ten minas. For I say to you that to everyone who has will be given, but from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Amen. We're going to stop right there. So you need to understand that these servants, and, and some translations actually don't use the word servants. They say stewards. 
Stewards. You understand the word, I want to give you the definition of steward just so we know exactly what we're talking about. Steward, a person who manages another's property or financial affairs. One who administers anything as the agent of others. Amen? Steward, one employed in a large household or estate to manage domestic concerns as the supervision of servants, collection of rents, and keeping of accounts. Now, we need to understand this is that some of the things about stewards are they manage assets that are not their own. And, and we need to understand that as believers, you know, we are sons of God, right? I think it's so interesting. One thing is, is there's an interesting, and I, I believe, you know, duality of our position in Christ. We are sons of God, but we are also servants of God. Amen? And, and you need to understand this, is that you look back uh, all through the Bible and you read the stories of people who had servants, people who even owned slaves. You, know, you can see that even up to one of the most current uh, you know, examples of it in the United States, of slavery in the United States. You realize that the people that owned slaves, they went out in the fields and they worked just like the slaves did. Some of y'all might not know that. I know, I know families that had, that had slaves. This is the South, right? I know families that owned slaves. And I'm not condoning that the ownership of another human being. I'm just saying, don't believe me all the movies where you, know, that, you know, had all the, all the slaves out working and the white people just sitting up on the porch cracking a whip on them. That's not always, that is not the case. Always. I'm sure there were some instances of that. But you understand that, that in uh, American slavery and back in biblical days, that if someone was a servant or a slave of someone, that the sons were out in the field working with the slave. They were working for a different reason. But they, were all, they, they didn't just sit back up in the house and wait for the servants to do it all. The sons, they went out and they worked in the field and they did the work. So here we are. This is the duality of our position in Christ is that we are sons. Amen? How many remember the story of the, of the, two, the father and the two sons? I don't even like to call it the story of the prodigal son because that slants your interpretation of it. The, the father and the two sons and the one that demanded his inheritance and he went out and, and he wasted it and then the other son stayed at home with father. How many of y'all know that the younger son talked about that the father had servants? Had servants or maybe even owned slaves. But you read the story that the older son was out in the fields working. And so you understand, and the Bible talks about that children, over in Galatians it talks about that children differ nothing from the servants until they come of age. You understand that the children got up when the servants got up and went out in the field and worked in the heat of the day, the children got up, they went out, they worked in the fields in the heat of the day. And just because they were children didn't mean that they had uh, you know, the say-so or the oversight of it. It said when they were children, they weren't any different than the servants. You got up, you worked, you drank the water the servants drank, you ate the food the servants ate while they were in the field, and you went out and you worked with them. And so, but stewards, something that we need to realize is that if you were... If you were someone's slave, you didn't own any property. You didn't have any private property. And, 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 that's, and that might sound obvious, but if you were a slave, you understand if you had a just master, you enjoyed everything that the, the master made provision for everything that you needed. And so you didn't own any property. And so one of the things I want us to, that we have to, to tweak our thinking, especially as Americans, is to, is to realize that in the kingdom, and if you're born again, you're in the kingdom, is that the kingdom of God is administered different than the world. And where we think uh, that we own some stuff, well, that's my truck, that's my house, that's my whatever it is. You need to realize that if you've been bought, with, and, bought and, we, and we don't like, we say a lot of stuff, but we don't think about what we're saying. Yeah? I've been redeemed. I've, I'm, how many of you say, oh, I'm a blood-bought believer. Boy, woo, I'm blood-bought. Well, if you're bought, what's that mean? Somebody owns you. You're not your own. We've been purchased. And so what I, the point is and what I'm trying to get us to think and realize is is that a lot of American believers, especially in the South where, we've been, where people we've been taught tithing, 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 
if we're not careful, we'll slip into the mentality of thinking, well, I've given my tithe, I've given God what I owed Him, the rest is mine. No, it's not. And you say, oh, Pastor, we're going to talk about money this morning. No, I'm, I'm using this for an example because God wants a whole lot more than your pocketbook. If He can get your heart, He got all of you. <laughs> and if you can get His heart, you got all of Him. Man. If you can get His heart, you got all of Him. Right? It's, it's a two-way street. Because if God can get your heart, then you don't draw any lines and say, Shh, okay, this is yours, God, but all the rest of this is mine. You don't do that if He's got your heart. God doesn't go, well, I'm going to give you this, but shh, all the rest of this is mine if, if, he, if you've got His heart. Amen? And so, but, so what we need to realize is, just like these servants, just like these stewards, they didn't have any assets of their own. You don't have, if you're a born-again believer, you might think that you've got some stuff. Amen? We're going to teach you the kingdom enough. We're going to teach you the kingdom enough to where it's going to start rubbing some people the wrong way. It's going to challenge the way you think. Because I'm comfortable thinking that as long as I give God one day a week and 10% of my income, that's all I owe Him. And we're good, God. And it's not. It's not. If you're His servant, if you are His servant, you're His steward, there's nothing that you have that is completely yours. Amen? Like, you know, someone was asking me about my truck this morning. said, you know, is that your personal truck? You know, we've got some decals. Anchor, uh, Anchor Faith St. Augustine put some decals on for us to help us advertise, you know, get word out about the church here in town. Someone said, you know, is that your personal truck? I said, well, as per, I, I said, it's titled to me. It's titled to me. I pay for the tags. I pay the taxes on it and the insurance on it. But it's, 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 it's a ministry vehicle. Why? Because there's nothing that I have that I can say, well, but nope, that's mine. God don't have access to that. Because you realize the things in your life that you refuse to give God access to are things in your life He's not Lord over. Can you take it? Huh? I don't have to scratch my head and wonder why, you know, some things are the way they are. Tell me a happy tell me a happy story. Tell me a happy story. I'm telling you a happy story because if we get if you get the people that get a hold of this and live it, it so radically changes your life and the reward is immeasurable, what the, what the Master wants to do. Amen? So you understand, these people were stewards. They didn't have their own assets. They, they realized, there's nothing I have that's my own. Because you understand, the Master provided a bed for them. Master provided food for them. The Master put the roof that was over their head. Their prosperity was directly connected with doing the will of the Master. Hmm. And the sad thing is that some people get fooled into thinking because they're having a degree of prosperity doing their own thing that it, it, it's the master stamp of approval. Man, God has got something so much bigger for us, but we have to make ourselves fully available. I, I just, you know, if we were talking to someone this week, that, that Cheyenne and I, we met a. Uh, a young man from uh, down St. Augustine yesterday, and he said he was on his way someplace to go pick up a, a, a new bed frame. He said he and his wife had put their uh, box springs and mattress on the floor and been sleeping on the floor for a couple months, and they had had some money come in, and they were going to go get them a new bed frame. And they said, you know, if we had one, but the king had use of it. You understand that, but wait a minute, they had a use for it, Right? Didn't they need a bed frame to hold their box springs up and put their mattress on and, and have it? Sure. But when they were when the Lord spoke to them and they were so convinced that the that the master has use of it, has need of it. Because you understand, sometimes we like to think that the only things that we that we offer and make available to God is things that are out of our abundance. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that you just frivolously and wastefully give stuff away. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, is remember the story of the widow and her two mites? Jesus says she's given more than all the rest of them. He says she's given out of her importunity, or she's given out of her lack and want. 
In other words, what she had wasn't even enough to meet her needs, but she went and she was faithful and she gave it. And I've said this before, so many people, so many religious people, the, the idea is this is how they finish the rest of the story in their mind. And the poor little widow woman went home, and because she had gave her two mites away, she didn't have any food, and she starved to death and she died, and they buried her, but it was a nice story. That's how a lot of people feel it. I don't, I don't finish that story. Well, you know, the Bible doesn't say specifically what happened, but I know the character of my God. And I know that, God, that the story probably went something like this, that she went and she, and she sowed and she gave out of her importunity and out of her lack and want, and that God opened up the windows of heaven and poured out a blessing on her there wasn't room to contain, that God rebuked the devourer for her sake. Amen? You read the story. What, can we read stories in the Old Testament of prophets who went to women? You know, was Elijah went to the, the one woman and said, Hey, make me a cake. Make me a cake and bring it to me. Well, I just got a little bit of meal, a little bit of oil. I was going to go home and fix a meal, and uh, me and my son were going to eat, it and then we're going to die. I got a better plan. Make me a little cake and bring it to me. Amen. And you understand that she gave out of her importunity, and what happened? God blessed her. He got, God met her needs all through the time of drought. So I'm telling you, we're serving the same God now as we were then. And so the little widow woman, if she gave out of her importunity, I'll guarantee you God made a provision somehow for her. Anyway, back to the stewards. So the stewards manage, and we need to realize everything in our life, you're a steward of it. And, when, and, and you understand that this is, a, this is a foundational concept that we have to have if we're going to function in the kingdom of heaven. If we're going to operate in the kingdom of heaven the way that God intended for us to. Now, I just want to take a look at some things. You understand that the steward managed things that weren't their own. You understand this. The two greatest commodities available to you are your time and your energy. You really only have two commodities in life. Oh, now, Pastor, I got some money. I got some... No, 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 no. Because mo- you understand even money represents your time and your energy. Because you either had to go and punch a clock or you went out and you did some sales because that's how you gained your wealth. And that's why don't ever take for granted when you, what you put in the offering because when you're putting that in, that's representing a portion of your time and energy that you are sowing as, an, as a sacrifice, making a sacrifice to God to honor Him. Your time, and your, your time and your energy are the only two commodities that you actually have in your life. Amen? And so you need to realize this, is that getting back to the statements that we opened up with, the greatest tragedy in life's not death, but it's life without a purpose, life with the wrong priorities. Life's greatest challenge is knowing what to do. The greatest mistake in life is to be busy but not effective. Life's greatest failure is to be successful at the wrong assignment. Want to see the servants? Notice this these, this parable that we read in these two play in Matthew and Luke. Said the servants were assigned their purpose by the master. God has given us our assignment. Amen. You understand this is that the greatest tragedy in life is life, is not death, but it's life without a purpose. Guess what? If we're in the kingdom, the King has given you your purpose. Amen. You understand that there are some things that are generalities. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Amen. That's one thing, that's, the great, that's part of the great commission that we all have. I've said, I said this on uh, Wednesday evening, is how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall, they, how shall they call on Him if not they've heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? Huh? How should, you, can't, you understand that all of us are believers. That preacher just means one who makes a proclamation. All believers should be preachers. That doesn't mean all, the, the all believers are called to fivefold ministry, but every believer should be a preacher. Someone says, oh, you a preacher, man? Yeah, I am. Someone said, oh, you think you're a preacher now? you sharing the God. Oh, you think you're a preacher? Yeah, I'm commanded by the Scripture to be. I am commanded by the Scripture to be one who proclaims the Gospel. Amen? And so, but you understand is that there are some things generally that the King has given us our purpose, but there are some things that He's spoken specifically to people about. That this is your assignment. This is my assignment to you. And you need to understand is that some people... Some people don't want to find out what their assignment is because the assignment demands that you forsake what you want to do and do what the purpose that the king says. I remember before I even went to, to Rhema, before I went to Bible school, that I was living in West Virginia and I was happy. Did, didn't have any notion whatsoever of ever leaving West Virginia. I was a, a, a typical uh, West Virginia redneck hillbilly neo-isolationist that didn't trust anybody that lived across the Ohio River, the Big Sandy River, or the Monongahela River. 
I'm stuck up in these hills. I'm happy. Don't want to go no place. Don't you want to go see something? No. I'm happy where I'm at. And begin to pray. And, you know, and, I, and I was a bivocational minister then. And, and, and began to pray. And the Lord uh, spoke to me about making a move from one church to the other. I didn't want to do it. No, I don't want to go there. Nope. Don't want to do it. Okay, guess what? I ended up doing it. Started going to that church and it felt like the Lord was calling me to a next, to another stage of preparation for ministry. Lord was speaking to me. Go to, go to Tulsa, Oklahoma. Go to Raymond Bible Training Center. Submit yourself to them. Be taught the Word. Get saturated in the Word. Learn to move with the Spirit. Go out there. I said, I was like, okay God, I'm going to go to Victory Bible Training Center. That was the Bible school our church had. And I start, and there was times that I'd pray, and every time I started praying, the Lord would say, "I told you go to rain." And I stopped praying. Why? Because I, I had, I didn't want, I didn't want to t- accept His purpose. I got my own purpose, Lord. That ain't on the plan. Going to Tulsa, Oklahoma, mm-mm, that ain't on the plan. It take more than one tank of gas to get there and back. I, uh, that ain't on the plan. <laughs> Amen. And guess what? Went to Victory Bible Training Center. Told the Lord, God. I went to Victory Bible Training Center. You know what the Holy Spirit said to me? He said, great, now go do what I told you to do. So I loaded up the truck and I moved to Tulsa. It don't rhyme, but you get the point, right? Purpose. It's not up... It, you realize it's not... It's not. We don't have the luxury as servants of the Lord to determine what our own purpose is. He determines that. Anything other than what He's determined... You're not serving your when you if you if we do not pursue the purpose that the master has given to us that the king has said, then you understand that the greatest tragedy in our life will not be when we die. It'll be the fact that we never pursued the purpose that the king had assigned to us. Amen. Next thing you notice, the next statement was life's greatest challenge is knowing what to do. You understand this, the challenge of knowing what to do is overcome in this story when the Master said, Occupy, do business till I come. He, they didn't have to walk around scratching their head wondering, What do I got to do? He told you what to do. Do business. Occupy till I come. So, the, 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 so what I'm trying to illustrate to you this morning is how simple these four, these four statements that are profound and the significance of them is is unfathomable, really. These four is to show you just how simple God has made the four of the most challenging statements that we'll ever face in our life. God has already he's 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 laid it out, and made it simple for you. Amen. Says the challenge of knowing what to do is overcome. Occupy till I return. Understand this: the greatest mistake in life is to be busy, but not effective. Understand this: the third servant. Remember the one that came to him and said, Oh, Master, he said, Here's what, you know, here's your money back. I knew you were an austere man. I knew you were a hard man, you know, reaping where you've not sown, and blah, 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 and all that. He says, He said, The third servant was busy, but not effective. Because you understand, he was doing something. You read these stories, and the Master was gone for a good while. We don't know how long it was. You understand? I mean, if he went to a far country, I've heard someone say that this parable that that during this time I, that there was a uh, there was a royal in the the land there of Palestine, the region of Palestine, that had went to Rome to receive the 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 uh, kingship there in the Middle East. I can't remember who it was. I've heard the story one time. I could look it up for you. But the, Jesus was actually telling this parable because it was a story that people could relate to because it was actually a current event that was going on there in that region that someone in the region had to go to Rome to receive his commission uh, to royal uh, position from Caesar. And so you can just imagine someone, if you had to, to go for, say you had to leave the region of Galilee or someplace over there, and you had to go all the way by ship to Rome and back, and not to mention the time you were there deliberating, and it says that they sent, that uh, the people sent a delegate, the one story in Luke says they sent a delegation of people to go tell them, we don't want to have this fellow reign over us, so you know there's some political debate, and we all know that political wheels grind slow, right? So it could have been months. It could have been months that, that the master was gone, but here's the third servant that wasn't doing anything with the resources that were allocated to him by the master, 
And you understand, he was doing something. He was busy. You probably could have tracked him down every day and found out something that he was doing. And he, and he was busy about something. Doing something. And guess what, though? He was busy, but he was not effective. He wasn't doing what he was assigned to do. So there was something that was occupying his time from the time he got up and he ate his Wheaties in the morning and he drank, you know, drank some juice and went through the day and came back home and had some supper in the evening and went to bed. But those hours between day, day, from dawn to dusk, something was occupying his time and he was making himself busy, but he wasn't being effective because he, because he had rejected the purpose and the knowledge of what to do that the Master had told him. Understand this, the last thing says, life's greatest failure is to be successful in the wrong assignment. The third servant failed to please the Master because he was successful at the wrong assignment. What did he, he obviously thought the assignment was, just hold on to what the Master's given me, don't lose it, hold on to it real good and tight, and then when the Master gets back, give it to him. That's what he did. So obviously he thought that was his assignment, right? Oh, the master's a hard master. If I lose this, man, I'm in a bad way. I'm going to be in trouble. I'm going to get called on the carpet with the master. So you know what? I'm just going to take this. I'm going to wrap this up. And I'm going to bury it. And I'm going to hide it so that when he gets back, I can give it to him. And what did he do? Can you see him? Here, master, I got the talent that you gave me. Here it is. See, I didn't lose it. It's right there. It's safe. Nobody got it. I didn't lose it. It didn't get stolen. Here it is. And guess what? Great! You were successful at the wrong assignment. And that's the greatest failure that you could have. And so we saw the, the Lord's displeasure with him because he was successful with the wrong assignment. Amen? And so we've looked at this story of the stewards. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2 says, is that stewards, above all things, stewards must be found faithful. Moreover, it is required... I'm going to read verse 1 to you. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in the steward that one be found faithful. And so the master, when he came back, his expectation was that the stewards were going to be faithful. What does it mean they were faithful? It means that they, that, that they were faithful because uh, they knew what their purpose was. They knew what they were, they were supposed to do. They were to be effective and they were to succeed in the, in the right assignment. That was his expectation. That was the measure of faithfulness to the stewards. Amen? So we need to understand that, that our lives, that God has an expectation of productivity in the kingdom. We're to be about, what did Jesus, Jesus is our example, right? The servant's not greater than the master, right? Jesus, remember when he was just a boy, and they came back and they found him in the temple teaching. And he said, don't you know I've got to be about my father's business? Well, if Jesus, our example, and our master says, I have to be about the Father's business. Amen. If we are not, the servant is not above the Master. If Jesus had to be about the Father's business, we have to be about the Father's business. Now, some people are going to say, that's the thing. Well, you know, how do I stay about the, the Father's business? You mean you want me to quit my job? You want me to quit doing this? I just go out and start preaching? If, if the Holy Spirit says so, yeah. And I understand, you understand, that's not going to be the majority of people. That's not going to be like, you know, it's not like God's going to speak and half a congregation in the church is going to go, oh, God told me to quit my job and go out and start preaching. No, no, no. But you, this is the thing. You need to realize, are you submitted enough to Him to where if that's what He says to do, you do it. Amen? But you realize, but how, how, do I, you know, how do I go about uh, you know, doing business, occupying to come? Well, that's the thing. You need to, we need to pray. Like I said, there's general things in the Word that we're commanded in the Word. And this thing, if you, if you don't know the Bible, you're never going to know the will of God. People that are running around say, I just don't know what God's will is for my life. I just don't know what God's will is for my life. Read your Bible. <laughs> that's a profound statement. Read your Bible, pray every day. Grow, grow, grow. Right? And so you understand, but then there's other things that, that, that the details of it, you realize, like I said this before, the Bible speaks gener generalities about some things, but then there's specifics about others that are only going to come to you from, through times of prayer. And the sad truth is so many people in, in the body of Christ don't, you know, they don't consider anything worthy of their time. Oh, you know, I got to pray? I got to take some time to pray? Yes. Because you understand, we're... The hardest thing for us as believers to do is to shift from a, 
a world consciousness to a king, what I call a kingdom consciousness. I said, you know, Pastor Earl and I were talking this week. I said, you realize that this is what most people's concept, and y'all just, you know, nod if you agree, just shake your head if you don't think it is. Most people's concept in America of what life consists of is, well, I go to school, and then when I get out of school, you know, um, if, if I graduate high school, you know, if I have the opportunity to go to college or if I have the grades, well, then I'm going to go to college. If I don't go to college, I might go to trade school or something like that. But then I get a job, and, you know, and I, I'm punching a clock, you know, 40 hours plus a week, and I'm bringing home a little paycheck, and I start saving a little bit of money for some retirement and paying into Social Security, and, you know, and I do that for 35 or 40 years, and, you know, have, along the way, have some kid, have my, have my 2.1 children and my dog named Spot, and they had the fence in the yard, and I'm going to go through life, and I'm going to live my life, and I'm just going to be working this job, and, and, you know, and then one day, you know, when I get old enough, and I feel like i got enough money in retirement or whatever, or I think that there's no, that Social Security is going to take care of me, ha-ha, and... And, and, and then I'm going to retire, and then maybe before I get uh, sick and old and die, I can go out and, and enjoy my retirement and go and do some of the things I've always wanted to do all my life. Now, don't we think, can we all agree that's what most people think? Most people in the country, if you talk to them with some variation or the other, that's going to be the way they think. Well, do you realize that none of that has a scriptural basis? That is a paradigm, and you understand paradigm just means a, a structure of thought. That's a structure of thought that is completely manufactured by our society that most of us sub, unconsciously have just embraced it. That's the way it's supposed to be. Haven't we? And so the hardest thing, because you understand like with the children of Israel, the hardest thing for them was not to get out of Egypt. You realize that getting out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the, the kingdom of God's dear Son, that wasn't the hardest part of being a believer. That was easy. All you had to do was you know, make a covenant with your mouth. Jesus, you are Lord. You're the supreme authority. Jesus, the Word, you are the supreme authority in my life. I believe that you died on the cross and God raised you from the dead. And boom! Instantly, the Holy Spirit picked you up, spiritually speaking, took your spirit and pulled you out of the kingdom of darkness, translated you over into the kingdom of life. And guess what? That was easy. All you had to do was believe and confess. But just like the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, the easy part was walking over to the Red Sea and going, man, what are we going to do? And God going to tell Moses, raise your rod, and the water going like that, and walk across. That's the easiest part of it. The hardest part wasn't them getting out of Egypt, it was getting Egypt out of them. Because even when they had been delivered and brought out of Egypt and brought over in to where they were just, what I think, I think some scholars said it should have took them 11 days to have walked from Goshen to Canaan. What should have been an 11-day hike turns into a 40-year walk-around-the-mountain-till-you-die expedition because they couldn't get Egypt out of them. Even though they were out of Egypt, the, the, the culture and, 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 the, and the thought process of someone enslaved to Egypt was so hard to shake that they couldn't do it. And so my point is, is that us as believers, it takes... There needs to be a whole paradigm shift because getting out of getting out of the authority of darkness and brought over into the kingdom was the easiest thing. The hardest part, though, is is changing our mind of where we think, changing our paradigm the way we think. Amen. And so you realize this is that we have to be faithful as stewards. We have to realize that just the way the, way the world says things are supposed to be done doesn't necessarily mean it is. It doesn't mean it that way. But who said? Yeah. Well, you know. I'm 65 and I'm getting old. It's time to retire. Who said? Who said you're 65 and you're old and you need to retire? Does the, did the king bless you with health and with strength and with a sound mind to keep working? Yeah. Well, this is the thing. We don't want it to be that it's a, that it's a necessity because poverty will overtake you if you're not still working. But you need to realize, don't buy that junk. Well, you, you, when you hit 65, you're over the hill. Just go set on setting your lazy boy till you die. Uh-uh. You got too much. God, if, if, the, if the Lord's blessed you with health and strength and sound mind, there's plenty more for you to do than just sit. And I remember my mother-in-law said she'd rather, rather wear out than rust out. I mean, and let's go ahead. Let's look at this. You understand, the stewards must be found faithful. This is a thing, though, and this is the good part of it. You realize there are benefits for being a faithful steward to God. And like I said, we're talking about your assets, the commodities that you control is your life, your time, your time, and your energy. 
You, you over, those are the two most precious commodities that you have as a steward of God. What am I going to spend my time on? And what am I going to invest my energy in? And you know, some people are just called, some people are called to a more strict life than others are. They really are. And if, if they'll heed to it, now I'm convinced that most believers are called to a more strict life than what most of us want to adhere to. Amen, and pastor included. What if, you know, what if the Holy Spirit said, you know what, you don't need to watch a couple hours of TV in the evening. Why don't you spend a couple hours in the Word? Because who says you've got to come home from work and flop down on the couch and pick up the remote and watch TV till you go to bed? Paradigm shift. Paradigm shift. How about taking that time reading the Word? How about taking that time praying in the Holy Ghost? And that's not saying you can't ever watch TV. pastor's not saying that. I'm just saying if you fall in the habit of it, it's a nightly thing. You know, people used to say, you know, I was a, you know, I was a non-traditional student when I went back to college, and people used to say, man, where do you get the time? I said, well, you know, we all have the same time. I said, I just don't watch 10 or 12 hours of TV a week anymore because I was working and going to school and making the grades and doing the work that I needed to do to make the, to make the, the dean's list every time because that was a personal goal that I had. I said, I'm going to make dean's list every semester. And so you realize is that your, your time and your energy. You know, I, I remember they talking about, you know, Pastor Hagen said that Brother Hagen never had any hobbies. See, it's funny. A lot of people want to have the, they want to see the miracles of God. They want to see uh, the, the power of God in their life like Brother Kenneth E. Hagen did. A lot of people want to have to see the power of God flowing in their life like Smith Wigglesworth did, who it's documented that he raised, I don't know, what, 12, 13 people from the dead. Well, that don't happen anymore. Did it happen in the New Testament after Jesus went back to heaven? Yeah, we can read stories about it. Then what makes you think it stopped? It stopped where people stopped believing. Because I'll guarantee you something, if you don't believe for something, it ain't never going to happen. Unless the, unless the Holy Spirit just asks, I mean, bar, with the exception of the Holy Spirit just saying that He's going to just supernaturally do something just to absolutely blow people's mind. But you understand that that's the exception more than the norm. P, you know, but Pastor Hagen said, he said, my dad never had a hobby. He said, said, my dad never played golf. My dad never was a big hunter. Never did have a whole lot of hobbies. Brother Hagen was a man of the Word. If he wasn't spending time with his family, he was in the Word. And, and you understand, I'm saying this, I do understand Brother Hagen was a minister. And not everybody, not everybody is called to ministry. But our assets of our time, our energy. You know, there's a lot of things that people will invest their energy in that, the, that if they took that same amount of time and energy and invested in things of God, the returns would be so much greater. Amen? Sitting around playing video games all night. You know, I, this is the thing, Pastor, I, I got an Xbox 360. I enjoy playing video games. But guess what? If I let myself, if I, if I look back to the point, I go, man, I'm wasting six hours a week playing this thing. I'm wasting eight hours a week playing this thing. I'm wasting 20 hours a week playing this thing. Whatever, whatever the time frame is. What if you just took half that time? Invest. What if you took half that time to witness to people in your neighborhood? What if we took half that time to pray? What if we took half that time to study the Word? Would the return be greater? Amen? It would. Understand this. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. Amen? The benefits for faithful stewardship. You understand, God... <coughs> God you need to understand God's not, God's not trying to give you the dirty end of the stick. How many of y'all know what I mean by giving the dirty, dirty end of the stick? Someone, you know, that, that was something that somebody said. You know, when I was growing up, I heard that saying. Said, you know, you got the dirty end of the stick. In other words, somebody did you wrong and took advantage of you in a situation. God's not out to give anybody the dirty end of the stick. The devil wants you to think that God's giving you the dirty end of the stick. Your flesh wants you to think God's giving you the dirty end of the stick, and that oh, God just wants you just to. He just don't want you to do nothing for yourself that you enjoy yourself. Blah 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 blah. blah. He didn't, just don't want you to do nothing. I remember, um, oh, help me, Lord. Phil Driscoll. How many of y'all know who Phil Driscoll is? One of the greatest trumpet players there's ever been. And, uh, and he's a minister of the gospel. Believer, minister of the gospel. 
And I remember him sharing, uh, sharing his testimony one time. I was in a service where he was ministering, and he was sharing his testimony one time, and he said that he always wanted to fly on an F-16. He wanted to break the sound barrier, fly supersonic, and, and fly in an F-16. And, uh, you know, it wasn't anything that he was actively pursuing himself. But you understand, this is a guy, he's, he's given his life to the ministry. He's taken his talent. He's a very talented musician. He took that talent that God blessed him with, and he's used it to give God glory. And he said he, that he got invited uh, one time to the White House. I don't know what president it was. got invited to the White House to play uh, uh, personally for the president of the United States. He said he went, played his trumpet. president was really appreciative of it and came to him. He said, you know, Phil, I just really enjoyed that. It was just so awesome. He said, if there's ever anything that I can do for you, he said, that you'd like to do. He said, this was in my power. He said, let me know. He said, I'd like to, I just want to you know, do something nice for you. And you know what Phil, Phil Smiley said, now that you mention it, you might have access to a couple of F-16s, to an F-16. He said, I would love to go for a ride on an F-16 fighter and go supersonic. And he said, the president said, hold on, made some phone calls. I, think, I, I don't know if it was later that evening or within a day or two. He's on a helicopter getting taken out to an aircraft carrier off the coast. They land on the aircraft carrier. They pop him in the uh, back seat of an F-16 and take off, and he's flying an F-16. What's your point? My point is, is there are benefits. Now, some of you might say, I don't have any desire to do that. Well, how many of you know that's something he wanted to do really bad? How many of you know civilians just don't very often get the opportunity to ride in the back seat of the F-16 fighters? That don't happen all the time. What's your point? My point is, is that he was willing to be a steward and a servant of God and use his gifts and his talents. And this is the thing. You know, the Bible says God will give you the sincere desires of your heart. Now, I think there is a duality because there's what the Bible talks about. You know, there's dual interpretation of prophecy. One is, if you're seeking God's heart, then the desires he places in your heart are, are going to be his desires and he's giving you those desires. I, be, I believe that. I believe that some, I think sometimes that we've been prone to emphasize too much He's going to give you everything that's in your heart and make it sound like God's just one, you know, you know, a great big gimme boy or something like that. Okay? Gimme, 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 gimme. Okay? He will give you the desires. Of it. He, if, if, if you will seek Him, if you'll seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, then He's going to place His desires in your heart and He'll give you the desires of your heart. Well, also, I do believe there's a dual interpretation of that, that once we bring our heart in line with God, and there's things that you're going to want and you're going to desire that are pure desires, and there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with wanting to fly an F-16, right? Ain't nothing sinful about that. Okay? So as we seek God and we're seeking the desires that He's given us in our heart that we've received from Him, then he's going to give you the sincere desires of your heart. God's going to say, you know what, I just want to bless them because you've been a good, you've been a faithful servant. I couldn't tell you how many pastor friends of mine that I know that, you know, they went out and, and they preached the gospel and they loved people and they preached the word to people and there were things maybe that, that, that they wanted and God put it on people's heart that, that blessed them and it was and stuff really that some of them, it was that, 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 that they're paid, they weren't ever going to get that stuff themselves. And God, why? And it's and, and I'm not talking about. And you all heard you all heard Pastor. I've cracked jokes before about man. You know when I get a Harley, man. When I get the, whatever. I'm not talking about even dropping. To be real honest, if someone came right now and gave me one, I just couldn't receive it because there's too many other needs that our church has. I'd say, man, take it back, get the money, and give the money to the church because we could, there's stuff we need to do. It wouldn't be appropriate for me to receive that right now when there's needs. Understand? But you understand is that God, you seek Him, you're a good steward to Him. There's benefits. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. This is out of the New Living Translation. For God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you've worked for Him and how you've shown your, shown your love to Him by caring for other believers as you still do. Our great desire is that you will uh, keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that, you, uh, that what you hope for will come true. Then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. God is not, un, uh, is not unjust to forget how hard you've worked for Him. Don't you think for one minute that the, the, the labor that you're doing for God, that God has overlooked it and God doesn't see it. 
Don't you think for one minute, praise team, that when you come in here on Saturday mornings at 10 o'clock and you take the time to rehearse and practice the music, that God just get, that God's like, oh well, whatever, you know, they're giving up time. Because some of y'all, your time is precious. Your job makes demands on you. You have other things that make demands on you. And that, extra, that time, you'd like to sow that to your family. You'd like to maybe have it to do some things yourself. But you take that and you sow it so that when you come in on Sunday morning, that we look like we know what we're doing when we do praise and worship, right? Guess what? God's not unjust to forget that labor. Don't think that when ushers, that when you come out and you get, and you leave the house early to get here early to serve, to get in your position, to serve the church and to do, cause you understand when we're doing this, we're serving people. We're in, in anticipation of people coming and filling this building that they need ministered to, right? And God's not unjust to forget that labor. He, God's not just going, oh well, you know, whatever. Don't you think the nights that you've stayed up till 2 o'clock in the morning talking to people on the telephone, ministering to them and counseling them what the Word of God says when you had to get up and make class in the morning or go to work the next day and you're sleepy, don't think for one minute that God just took, that God's unjust and He doesn't take that into account. Oh, He sees it. And He marks it down. And this is the thing, Brother Hagin, you say, God doesn't always settle up every week, but He settles up. And don't think for one minute that you understand this? There's some people they think, well, you know, the, the parable Jesus said that all the servants get the same penny. Yeah, we all we're all going to be born into the kingdom. But I, don't you think for one minute, how unjust would God be for the apostle Paul, who gave his whole life for the gospel, went out, suffered shipwreck, was beaten. There's not there was days that he went days without eating, and he wasn't particularly fasting. There wasn't nothing to eat. He went hungry. He didn't have adequate clothing. And he went out and he did it all for the gospel of the kingdom. And he was working for the Lord and he was doing all that he wanted to to think that that he's not going to have any more reward in heaven than someone that just got saved and sat on a pew for 40 years. God is not unjust. Because you understand, the, the penny that we're all getting is the salvation of God, right? All the servants get the same thing. But the Bible does most definitely talk about rewards. And it talks about the works of men being tried by fire. When we stand before God, that the, that He's going to, you know, that the fire of God's going to come out, and it's going to test man's works, and everything that's wood, hay, and stubble is going to be burned up. But the things that remain, the gold, the silver, the precious stones, talking spiritually, those are representations of the things we've done for God. Don't you think for one minute that God takes that for granted? Don't you think that that that, that you've done all these things? Well, God's just unjust because no, well, number one. We need to keep this attitude is that, you know, over in Luke it talks about that when the servant's done all the master says, you just say, I'm an unprofitable servant. I've only done that which is required of me because we don't ever want to slip into the mindset of thinking, God owes me, God owes me, God owes me. God don't owe you jack because you're His property. But that being said, you can't have an attitude of God owes me, but you can have an attitude of, man, God's faithful. God is not unjust. God knows what I've done. God knows the sacrifice. God knows the times, you know, that I've done this. God knows the time I've left to go pick, left early and burned extra gas to go pick up people that didn't have a ride to church to bring them to church. God's keeping track of that. God's keeping track of that. God's keeping track of when somebody needed a ride across town to go do something or somebody needed a ride here or a ride there. You say, well, that don't seem like something big. Are you doing it because the Master told you to? And are you ministering to that person to help that person? God's not unjust. Amen? God is not unjust. You understand this? Is that as you do that, God, there will come a time when God will settle with you. And it's not just, and it's not, it's always going to be in the, uh, in the sweet by and by. What David said? David said, I would have fainted if I had not believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. On this earth. Amen? Real quickly here. Amen? Just understand this. God is faithful. God, the life of surrendered stewardship to God is not one that goes unrewarded. God is keeping track of it. And at the risk of... At the risk... Of, uh, of of sounding cliche, you know. I remember uh, my pastor in Huntington used to crack jokes all the time about preachers giving a sermon where they gave three points in a poem. Three points in a poem. Three points in a poem. How many of y'all ever heard that joke? The sermon's more than three points in a poem. Well, I heard just a glimpse of this poem. I could remember hearing this one, this one when I was a kid, and I just you know I looked it up on the internet and I just wanted to share it with you because it it is profound. Amen. It is a profound one. So bear with me in my folly. I didn't give you three points, though. I'm just giving you the poem, right? 
Two little lines I heard one day traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart, and from my mind it would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one, soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day my Lord to meet and stand before His judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with burdens, hopes, and fears, each with its clays I must fulfill, living for self or in His will. Only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. When, uh, when this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep, in joy or sorrow thy word to keep, faithful and true, whate'er the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn, and from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one, now let me say thy will be done. And when at last I hear the call, I know I will say twas worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Amen? Be a good steward. Be a good steward of your time, your energy, and make sure because this thing, God will reward you. God will reward you. And even if, if it's at a job, work is, working as unto the Lord, because this is the thing, God will reward your faithfulness. And if it's not there, he'll move you someplace else where people will appreciate, where you will be rewarded because you're working for the Lord anyway, right? Amen. Praise God. Let's pray. Father. We